Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Greetings, Attic Wives and Lit Witches, and welcome to Fuckboys of Literature. I am your host, Emily Edwards, and I am sad to say that this is our last episode of the year. We are done, kaput, no coming back for special episodes this year. I'm really sorry. I have a ton of work I have to get done in November and December, and unfortunately, uh, that's got to take precedence, and I really, really feel bad about that. But we're coming to you on an off day with a very, very special Halloween episode. It's creepy and it's spooky. It's altogether ooky. It is not about the Adams family, but about one of the fuckboys you all have been requesting for a really, really long time. All right, everyone with me today is a voice that is an absolute treat. They are a performer and podcaster with shows that we will discuss while we are discussing this book. David Baxter, how the hell are you? I am doing fantabulous. I have had a week, but now I'm here and that makes everything so much more better. I, I, I already complimented your voice before we started recording. And now I'm just like, oh, it is soothing, savage nerves. I'm so excited to talk about both this book with you and also with someone who has like a gorgeous voice. Oh, thank you so much. I am, I have to say, based on some of the stuff that I've seen on Patreon, I am just overjoyed that I get to talk about this book with you because I've seen so many people bring it up and I'm like, I feel so honored that I get to sit here. (laughs) I will say that Howl's Moving Castle has been requested from like day one when when I started this podcast in 2019. People are like, when are you going to do Howl's Moving Castle? (laughs) And I will admit to you that I was putting it off because Mm. I don't know why I thought this. I thought it was a graphic novel and I don't like reading graphic novels. So I was just like, I'll do it eventually. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading it. I'm like, oh no, it's a book. I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you heard the like, I don't know if it's an apocryphal story, but I feel like it's, it's uh, in terms of fuckboys of literature, I feel like this is kind of, there's a story about Diana Wynne Jones regarding the movie. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So, she wrote the book. She put it out. She was like, oh, it's – But then she didn't understand why so many preteens were, like, horny for Hal. She just didn't get it. She was like, he's just some guy. What is wrong with you people? Like, what is – And then she went to see the movie when it finally premiered, and she was like, oh. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> because, yeah, was your first experience with this story the book or was it the movie? It was the book. I was I, an early adopter of Diana Wynne Jones. And in fact, it's very different. Yes, yes. Um, in fact, when Harry Potter first came out, not, I mean, like Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. When that first came out, one of my things was like, 
I was I was young. I didn't always have the best thought process, but still, I was just kind of like, why is everybody so into the Harry Potter and how? Because there are so many other like really good authors that none of you ever read before, and like Jones was one of the ones that was on that list. I was also the shit kicker mm-hmm. of, the, of my teenage years where I was like, how come you're reading this when you could be reading like this esoteric thing? And I did yeah. it with movies. I did it with bands. I did mm-hmm. it with books. I was that asshole. Yeah. But we all go through it. It mm-hmm. happens, especially if you go on to art school like I did where, oh, you know, what do you mean you haven't seen this cut of this movie from 1937? <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's an entire college and we're paying to do this. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, boy. Art school. Yeah. I... <laughs> My degree is in art history because I went to art school and I did not feel comfortable with my portfolio to get into the higher levels. So I, I, I'm familiar with the art school student. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Emerson. So it was like film writer, shit kicker oh, kids. Yeah. 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 So it was like across genre. Mm-hmm. And I was not a very good writer. And now I make this stupid podcast. So Eat that, Emerson. Exactly, your hoity-toity yeah. arts education. <laughs> and aren't you a writer as well? Like you, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're never going to talk about me. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It's college. Uh, it's college. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of listenership of people underneath the age of like twenty-five who haven't already been in it. But if you are, don't worry about college. It's really no big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I don't know. Um, yeah. There was a thing today about um, academic interviews that was like, uh, just let the interviewer talk because academics like hearing themselves speak. That's brilliant. Yeah, and very true. Yeah, just ask leading <laughs> questions and it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's so smart. Yeah. That is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, we've totally gotten off subject, but I'm like hey. thrilled with how this is going already. Five minutes mm-hmm. in, but like. I, I, my first experience with Howl's Moving Castle was definitely the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of, you know, was going through the Miyazaki canon and was mm-hmm. just kind of like, this is great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's got some of the best voice casting, I think, in all of animated history. Yeah. We'll talk for a moment about how Billy Crystal's Calcifer is just genius. I honestly think that the du- the English dub of Howl's Moving Castle is one of the ones where I feel that it one of the rarities where I feel that it improves on and in some ways is better than the original. I don't say that about a lot of one, about a lot of yeah. dubs, but yeah. that one, they did a really good job. They got lightning in a bottle. They got all the right people. It's, they really yeah. did. Yeah. It's dynamite. Mm-hmm. That being said, we will talk about the book. We'll bring mm-hmm. up the movie because there's no reason, there's no way you can't with mm-hmm. texts like this, but mm-hmm. we'll just keep going. I apologize. Uh, I have been so out of it for the last couple hey. of weeks, so I'm just like whoo, all over the place. I'm just following um, your lead, so yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, believe me, I've been in the same boat. I've been in the same boat. I've been, I, yeah. You know what? It's something about this year is that this mm-hmm. year has been just like pretty much across the board, at least a low grade shitty for everyone, mm-hmm. if not like high key shitty for everyone. And mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about this year, but it sucked across the board. But this is a delightful book. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be, um, because the movie has that fantasy. It's got the visuals. It's 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 almost cutesy wootsy at certain Mm -hmm. points. This is not a cutesy wootsy book, like at all. It's like serious wizardry. Mm -hmm. 
And I was impressed, really, that, like, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, were you shocked at, at um, like, their depiction of, of magic? Because it is very it's, – it's almost always, like, attack magic. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? And yeah. Like, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um... I think because okay, I, I I grew up as one of like the Tolkien kids, so mm-hmm. Tolkien, especially in his like non uh, Lord of the Rings stuff, uses a lot of like attack music <laughs> 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 for magic. Yeah. So this kind of felt when I first read this. This sort of felt. Um, like stuff that I was already already into. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big fantasy person, mm-hmm. but I have. I but I'm always drawn to things that are about witches. Okay. Um, because of my own inclination towards being a nasty old crone, mm-hmm. and it's just imagery that I greatly enjoy. And most people, you know, like they don't think of the witch as a complementary <laughs> depiction of of femininity and Mm -hmm. females but i always i'm just kind of like no it's great everybody's afraid of you it's fantastic yeah (laughs) and as we all learned from the movie the vivich the that babies make great moisturizer (laughs) (laughs) i i always whenever i like daydream about doing stand-up i'm always just like i would like pay so much money for a like mysterious beauty beauty line just called bathory where it's just like (laughs) where it's like we're not gonna tell you what's in it (laughs) and i'm like i love depictions of witchcraft because Mm -hmm. like again howell is a boy and he's a real shit heel but mm. all but like he's so terrified of the witch of the waste mm. and i would just want to talk about the witch of the waste for a little while because she, i think she's so cool i i think this is one of the places where the movie fails so much is that the witch of the waste is such a fascinating character yeah what about her like really just kind of like grabs your attention i think first of all there's her style. I absolutely like the fact that like every time you see her, she is made up and she's made up in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love like, I don't know. Just, she's like, I think there's even a point in time where one thing I, I love about this book in general, just to back up a little bit before I go back on is how unreliable of a narrator, every single person in the book is. It's true. And so when Hal describes her as like she wants to be a, a beautiful flower growing in a abandoned wasteland, he's not wrong, but he's not right. But it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's – yeah, yeah. It, it's such a it's just distinctive book about perception and prejudice mm-hmm. of just like every every single person is under a spell to affect – to to affect how people see them. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really lovely sort of, I hate talking about allegory, but there's no better word to to do it, Mm -hmm. of just like really coming to terms with the fact that no matter how you perceive yourself, someone else is going to perceive you differently. Mm -hmm. And it's, and 
like and it's never preachy about how like it's you have to prove to someone to like see the real you it's just like no 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 it's like you always have that secret inner you and there's just not a goddamn thing you can do about it if people are not if people are tricked or hoodwinked or air quotes you know all these things to see you as something else yeah. and it's just like a gut punch but also that 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 wonder of having a secret is something mm-hmm. that i think like kind of gets pushed out of literature quite a bit yeah yeah th- i mean every yeah wow no, I like that. Every, like everyone in this book has some sort of secret that mm-hmm. like literally everyone. <laughs> it's so funny because like I, I'm just like spitballing here because I, mm-hmm. I, I really don't like come up with things I want to talk about before mm-hmm. I, oh, I start recording an episode. But like it's funny to me that Howell is the only person in the book who Howell and the Witch of the Waste kind of back and forth, but they're the only ones who affect their outside presentation mm-hmm. um, and kind of like on purpose. And they're never like the victims of someone putting something on them. And Howell mm-hmm. specifically is like the one super vain. He's always like interested in his hair color and things like that. And nobody has ever done something to affect his outsides. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I, I feel like there's like a weird thing with that of like because he has no inside. That's but... a good point. <laughs> so all he has is the outside. But even then, the Witch of the Waste doesn't. She doesn't do anything. Well, I mean, she does something, but it's not. It doesn't affect him outsidely, yeah. outwardly, yeah, physically, yeah. Like, everybody can always look at Howl and see the true Howl, mm-hmm. which I think is, like, his absolute weakness, is that he'll walk into a town and everybody's just kind of, like, you know, it, it gets kind of lost in translation of just, like, over time, people learn that, like, Howl is kind of an asshole to women. And then, like, over time, that became he steals young girls' hearts and eats mm-hmm. them. And it's, like, that's just more of, like, a game of telephone and not yeah. necessarily n- – untrue right like he's like when the aunties are sitting there gossiping about him they're not wrong (laughs) exactly exactly he like comes in and wrecks girls lives Mm. and it's like yeah you know because he's he's a magician he's a wizard Mm. they turn it into something supernatural but in actuality he's just a dick i think it's a bit like um Every Christmas, this whole conversation comes up of people realizing that I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus is not that mommy is philandering. (laughs) Exactly. But there's something kinky happening there. Yeah. But there's also a bit of like, I was one of those people, but I was also like, look, the other songs you're singing out here have like a magic flying reindeer with a nose that glows. Like Exactly. (laughs) Mommy having an affair with the man who comes down the chimney and brings me presents is not outside of the realm of possibilities here. Like we're not, you know, you've already established that this is like, that, that, that these people exist. This is exi- a liminal space that we live yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Anything is possible. This right. is a Hieronymus Bosch painting of like crazy religious and yeah. like 
consumerist holiday. <laughs> you know, he, he, he comes down chimneys that don't even exist. So, like, why wouldn't he also be? <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me of the the David Sedaris essay where he learns about like the Dutch traditions of Santa Claus, where like nobody has chimneys, and so he's like, "What does he do? Come through the radiator? Like, what are we talking about?" <laughs> and they're like, "We don't know. He just comes in the house somehow." <laughs> this this book is a trip. Like, mm-hmm. I just I really don't know what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Because I was expecting something that actually felt more magical after having like seen the movie. And you mm-hmm. know, there's like the shadow demons that come in and out and stuff like that in the movie. And those aren't there. It's actually very rooted in reality in mm-hmm. a way that I wasn't really expecting. Down to the fact that like Howell is from Wales. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, the, the, the saucepan song that Calcifer sings is a Welsh song that he learned from Howell. Oh, it's like a real song. Yeah. Oh, I'll have. I, let me. I, I, I'll have to send it to you at some point in time. But I know I've looked this it. up before. That's amazing. I have no. I had no idea. Like I had just assumed I, it's never really explained in the text. So yeah. I was like, I just assumed that it wasn't like real, and then I just kind of forgot about it. I'd assumed that it was in a different language, and I'm assuming the song's in Welsh. Um, but it's yeah. It, it, it's um. Okay. Uh, I mean, it Sosban Fach, Little Saucepan. I don't know how to say Welsh, so I'm sorry if I'm mangling that. Welsh makes no sense to me. And yeah. I don't think we have a huge listenership in Wales. Yeah. So, hey. And apparently it's also sung at rugby matches. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so With weird. Sosban <laughs> Vach is apparently, I don't know. Anyway, Welsh. Yeah. Yeehaw. <laughs> I I I read an entire there's an old mystery series about a, a monk in the mm-hmm. 1100s and it, it's it's a very famous old mystery series but it takes place in Wales and I had to do a crash course in like learning how to pronounce like Welsh names and I'm just like no I'm never going to get it so uh, like I can bullshit my way through French and Spanish and Italian mm-hmm. but Welsh it's not going to happen yeah, there's a lot of what. What series was that, by the way? It's the Brother Cadfail series by Ellis oh, Peters. It's very charming. I, I've watched a couple episodes of that, but I didn't realize it took place in Wales. Yeah, it's like on the border of like Wales and England in a town I mean, called Shrewsbury. It makes sense that's with a, his name, since there's like yeah. a extraneous wise. <laughs> and, and I'm just kind of like, ever since I've been watching like Rings of Power, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman who plays Galadriel as well. Mm. And I'm just kind of like, never going to get it. I'm never yeah. going to pronounce your name correctly. It's not going to mm. <laughs> But I do love the fact that he's from Wales in the book and they hired Christian Bale to do the voice cast. Yes. Who is Welsh. Yeah. I, I, I'm i sad that that is another part that didn't make it to the movie. Yeah. And, but I also, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel the... When you talked about Diana Wynne, or when you talked about Howl's Moving Castle, like having a very non-magical feel, I kind of feel that a lot of her books have that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, the one that got me into her her stuff is called Charmed Life. And it's about a boy and a girl who are orphans and they live in a little town. And his the, the older, the girl does a lot of magic 
but the boy can't do any magic, even though both of their parents were magicians or witches oh, or whatever. Interesting. And then like the big high government magic guy is like, I shall adopt you and you shall live in my castle. And they go there and everything is like terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, rats. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like something else happens in the book and stuff. But like it, there is a lot of like discussions of interdimensional magical policy. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing this show because you get to say yeah. things like that. But at like a fifth grade level. Yeah. Like I was actually surprised at how much bureaucracy was included in this. Like, mm-hmm. like Howell is pissed as shit. Like there's a huge conflict in the book that mm-hmm. like the king needs him for like military like endeavors. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like, I don't feel like it. And yeah. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> this book is meant for like seventh graders. Yeah. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that's one thing that I've always really liked about Jones writing in general is that unlike well, unlike others, other authors who won't be named – I do mm-hmm. feel that there is a part of her that really does grow or you don't appreciate until you get older. Interesting. Um, so you can read it as a kid and be like, oh, no, yeah, this is great. Like, oh, yeah, he's mad that his hair color got changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then as you get older, you kind of understand even more things. Like like the di- like, like Fanny. Yes. <laughs> like the yeah. dynamics between Fanny, Martha, and Letty – yeah, like, probably doesn't make a whole lot of much, a whole lot of sense to a fifth grader. Exactly. But as a grown adult, I'm like, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, poor Fanny. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> like, for can you explain that that like family dynamic for anybody who hasn't read the book? Okay, so Sophie is the oldest of two daughters, um, and three her daughters. three three, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. She, her, oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, her father ran a hat shop and he had a wife and they had to the two daughters, Sophie and Letty. The, uh, their mother dies and he marries the young shop assistant, Fanny. And then he has a daughter with her named Martha. So you have Sophie, Letty, and then their steps or their half sister, Martha. Yeah. And then red he, flags should already be waving. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, he dies, and so Fanny is left to run the shop. 
And it's generally assumed, at least according to Sophie, that Martha is going to be the one who strikes it big in the family and that the her and Letty are then going to be like the ugly stepsisters. Yeah, basically. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And what I also think is interesting about that dynamic, and then there's also a whole thing of like, is Fa- is Fanny the evil stepmom? Is she not the evil stepmom? Does she care about Sophie? Is she like exploiting Sophie? Um, Sophie's like 17 when right. all of this goes down. Like she's not a grown adult. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's really good descriptions of her just being like, this is the pits, mm-hmm. but there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Yeah. I do feel that Sophie has a lot. I'm about to. Okay. Sophie has a lot of things that I see in also in another book that I really like, but I know that you went in Mansfield Park, which is a Jane Austen <laughs> novel. But the problem is, is I'll that Sophie, we actually get to see her think about it and talk about it and do stuff. And the biggest problem with Mansfield Park that most people have is that Fanny just sits there like a bump on a log and just takes it and I don't know what else she can do, but it's also, it's definitely very much one of the problems of that novel is that people really cannot get past that. And I totally understand why. I would totally probably just like huck the book against a wall, just yeah. screaming like, just do anything. Yeah. yeah but yeah. but Sophie does, you know, like over, you're right that as an adult, mm-hmm. like you're looking at what is heaped upon Fanny, who is probably not much older than Sophie in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a real crap situation. But she doesn't mm-hmm. handle it very well no. because literally, like, after the funeral, she's just kind of like, okay, girls, I'm shipping two of you off somewhere else for <laughs> someone else to take care of you. And you're just kind of like, wow, dad's not like the grass hasn't even grown over him yet. Yeah. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Well, he ain't getting any debtor. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that she does, she makes the decision without consulting any of them. Yeah. She just kind of like makes the decision for like Mm. a 15 year old and a 13 year old Mm -hmm. that she's just kind of like, ta-ta. And just, and one of them's even her own daughter that she just is like, I can't handle this. So you're someone else's burden. Right. Right. And there's also like the way that gets set up kind of go- there's something in the very first paragraph that I don't know if this is intentional or not where so in that I feel like Fanny is like going from this idea of what a fairy tale is mm-hmm. and in the very beginning we hear Sophie talk about like where her place in life is because she's in a fairy tale and I don't know if Jones did this or not, but that's kind of one of my first things of like, oh, she Sophie's not a reliable narrator because in a lot of those fairy tales, outside of like Cinderella where you have the ugly stepsisters mm-hmm. or um, something like a Beauty and the Beast where like the, the older siblings are just awful, mm-hmm. a lot of the problems come from the older siblings just being like stupid and stubborn. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily doomed to fail. Right, right, right. It's more of like a problem of upbringing rather than mm-hmm. like a, like an 
a personal sort of like flaw. And, and Sophie is, she's very self-aware for a 17 year old, you know, Mm -hmm. she's just kind of like, we're doing okay. Dad's got the hat shop. Like I realize that all three of us are pretty, but clearly Martha's prettier, but we don't hold it against her. It's just Mm -hmm. like genetics. It happens, you know, and she's very just sort of like, she almost did remind me a lot of Belle from Beauty and the Beast, where she's mm-hmm. just kind of like, look at this small provincial town. It's life, you yeah. know? <laughs> I guess this is what we're doing. You know, it's the best I can do. Mm. Hats. And she's yeah. like, I'm good at it. It's not my, you know, it doesn't bring me great joy, but it doesn't bring mm-hmm. me great misery. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. And as an adult, you're just kind of like, that is sometimes the best you can do. Like, yeah. <laughs> And she does make the best of it too, which again, that's another thing where I like when the first time I read it, I was like, oh, she's just talking to hats. And then like, (laughs) even after the Witch of the Waste does her whole thing, and this comes back up later in the book, it wasn't until I think the second or third one, third reading that I was like, oh, wait, no, she's actually doing magic here. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's enchanting everything that she talks to. Mm -hmm. And like, I really loved that mechanism of enchantment because it to me it felt like a, just a really like beautiful understanding of like if you treat anything with respect it will pay itself back to you and mm-hmm. so like you know she she's 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 begrudgingly sewing these hats she doesn't really want to do it but it's not the hat's fault that they need to be sewn by someone mm-hmm. and it's not the hat's fault that like you know that she is tasked with keeping all of this stuff alive for her stepmother and so she treats the hats with respect and mm-hmm. then when she goes walking and she sees a stick mm-hmm. and she's just kind of like oh you'll help me thank you like I'm glad you're here basically and she treats even a lowly stick with respect mm-hmm. and it's just something that is just really really lovely to me about Sophie entire personality is that she never sets off by hating something except for yeah. maybe the scarecrow mm-hmm. yeah she has a thing <laughs> the scarecrow. which is like a really realistic thing to me mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just like ah! yeah <laughs> she slams the door in his face well for a long time like i, I feel like there are two two things that i have read that have really given me the shivers of a mental image, because mm-hmm. um, and I've, I don't read a I don't read a whole lot of horror novels, so I don't anyway. Um, but one of them is like the turn is like the the scarecrow jumping up and down, coming towards the castle door, just because it freaks me out. It's legit terrifying. Yeah, and the other one is like there's a description in Phantom of the Opera where. Raoul or whatever the the guy's name is is like wandering around in the Paris or no it's after the Parisian ta- or the Persian takes boyfriend into <laughs> the basement and they have to there's like one scene where they part where they have to like avoid this one guy who's kind of made it his life's goal to take people back up if they get lost in the Paris yes. in the basement. I don't know why, but that freaked me out when I like, when I read that. The fact that there's like people lurking in the sewers and stuff like that where he's just like, I'm gonna watch you. It's like yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So those are the two like literary things that have like, given me like the, 
because Turnip Head in the movie is really adorable. Like yeah. he's a very cute character. They make him a very cute scarecrow. Mm-hmm. That being said, I have seen some absolutely terrifying scarecrows in my life. Mm-hmm. I my house, my last house that I lived in in Los Angeles, and this is super weird. It was literally down the hill from a very, very, very large historical mansion that was mm-hmm. purchased by Chris Hardwick and Lydia Hurst, and oh, so wow. like they lived up the street from me. And so you would walk past their vegetable garden, and because they're weird they had i'm not kidding you the most terrifying scarecrow i have ever seen in my (laughs) life and because it was on the top of a hill it was often like foggy in the mornings when i would go and walk my dog and every single time i would just be like shit oh wait no no it's the weird neighbors that have bajillions of dollars it's that's them that's what they decided to inflict upon the neighborhood Mm -hmm. um so scarecrows are are legitimately terrifying and i did not vision turnip head when i was reading this Mm -hmm. i was definitely envisioning the creepy creepy millionaires who should know better scarecrow my version of this book has a very creepy scarecrow on the cover oh does it yes like let me see if you no good yeah. no good at all yeah do yeah. not like, like like the rest of the cover is fine but then there's like this like this this scarecrow like and it's like has its mouth open like howling at you like ah no <laughs> yeah like oh look look at the charming little old lady and the giant scarecrow of dad <laughs> And, you know, even Calcifer in this book is described in a far more terrifying way than just mm-hmm. like the little flickery flame that he is in the movie. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, you are looking to scare the pants off of some kids, Diana Jones. Yeah. Like Diana Wynne Jones. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually imagine Calcifer being a little bit more movie version than the way he's described just because I – I like the way he looks in the movie and I like his sort of Billy Crystal sassiness. Like <laughs> Exactly. I know. But he but the 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 actual I love the riddle that Calcifer sets up for Sophie when mm-hmm. he when he gets her into the the castle because Sophie is such a naive little twit frankly and she's so like down upon herself all the time that this fire demon is just going you yeah. walked right into this girly girl, and it's just great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, another thing I love about Calcifer in general, but I also think this goes into Miss Angorian and just the general nature of demonic creatures in this, is that it almost seems like because they're not like demon demons the way we think of like demons. They're not like fallen angels into the pit of hell who have like crawled out to doom your soul, whatever. No. Yeah. It's not like supernatural demons who are here to like turn, have their eyes black and like eat your soul. No. Yeah. It it almost seems like the nature of the fire demon is that like their original, like they're somehow going against their original nature. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And if it goes on for too long, because I also think this is like a pro- this is part of like the Witch of the Waste interestingness, is that I don't think she's necessarily, or maybe she didn't start out bad. And actually, they even think they even say she didn't start out bad. Yeah, yeah. And so there's just kind of like you can dip into this sort of otherworldliness, but you can't stay there too long, or it's going to change you. Yeah, yeah. 
Like they have a very like elemental spirits way about them where it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, this is what I was born to do. This is how I am. And like Calcifer even says that he's just kind of like, I'm not made to be like harnessed and move around a castle. Like this mm-hmm. is really detrimental to me. This is not my purpose of being a fire demon. And mm-hmm. it's just, I'm paraphrasing, obviously I'm not mm-hmm. quoting directly from the book, but like, you know, and it's just like a really important Thing, once again that just kind of gets laid bare in this where it's just kind of like the truth of who you are like gets obfuscated and 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 like and muted and smudged all the time and it's just she plays just so well with with identity and truth in this and it just makes me so happy as always if you'd like to hear the remainder of this episode head on over to patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit that's b-o- is where just a singular dollar will unlock the long version of this episode as well as the extended versions of episodes for the past few years patrons will have access to the long episodes even when i stop billing in the off months so you'll have access to the shows throughout the long winter nights ahead of us patrons also get frequent updates and extras for free during the off season so it's actually a pretty swell time to join up I hope you have a safe and wonderful Halloween. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Emily Edwards, and rest well. I'll see you all next year.